I try to give you all a, a good life. I try. I do. And all I ask for in return is just for respect, honesty. You know, oh, that's okay, Mark. Uh, a give and take relationship. But it's come to my attention, it's come to our attention, that a few bad eggs, led by one little egg in particular, have spit in the face of that generosity and are plotting against me. Me. Your protector. Your employer. So, Fenn, tell me about your childhood. When, how old were you when you were born? Uh, I believe when I was born, I was uh, zero days old. Ah, okay. And how was that? What uh, did you get up to on that first day? Some pretty standard stuff. I had to be in an incubator for a while. Uh, so I, was born about, I was born about a month early. Oh, wow. Starting as you mean to go on. Yep. You spend a lot of your days in incubators. Just out of habit at this point, right? Sometimes you've you got to sit in an incubator for a while just to reach normal. Yeah. And on your second day? I think on my second day, uh, so you I went home. you weren't born zero days old. You were born negative 30 days old. Uh, if that's how you want to think about it, sure. Uh, yeah. No, I think it's how a mathematician would think about it. So what? So you have got 30 extra days to spend in your life. What are you going to do with them? I mean... Your no, 30 no, bonus days. Knowing me, uh, probably waste of them. I mean, that's what humans do with time. But, yeah. like, you've got... okay. So oh, I, I, I might watch the first 30 days of logistics for the longest film ever made. Yeah, it's a 36 day long film. Well, it's 30, 35 days and 17 hours. Um, while me and Finn were watching a very long film recently, we discussed how long uh, I thought, you know, it would actually be pretty easy to make the longest film ever. Because what you do is you just start making a soap opera. But like how Alex Garland did with Devs where he said it's pretty much a film. The Queen's Gambit, it's just a long film. Yeah, or, or like some, sort of like what, what David Lynch did with, with Twin Peaks Season 3. Yeah. Although I think that's that's more debatable. Um, Seasons 2, 3, and 4 of Mr. Robot, I think, kind of fall into that because uh, uh, they're all directed by the same person that was shot like a film. Right. Berlin Alexander plots. Oh, yeah. Uh, a Decalogue. Mm. Um, uh, Shortland Street. Shortens um, and Days I, of Our Lives. It, it would be General Hospital. General, one of those has stopped. It doesn't matter. Oh, I think like, Days of Our Lives. But if you announce, so like I, I'm, my name's Uther Dean. I run production company. Uh, oh, down with the Deans. Um, and we're we're starting work. Me and we and TVNZ have partnered on to make a new. It's a daily soap opera, half hour every day. I have, so I've written up to six episodes of Shortland Street, New Zealand's one soap opera so i've got some experience but the thing i've got i want to announce first is that this soap opera is also a long film and because of the existence of 36 day long film was it called again logistics logistics um it would take something like seven years <laughs> for a daily half hour soap, soap opera, opera to be Fu to be longer than logistics week daily and yeah, i yeah. still kind of i've grown more and more attached to that idea um but anyway we were talking about so you've got your extra 30 days yeah so when you die how do you think you're gonna die uh i mean i i, 
I think it's going to be boring. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to die in a I, super boring way. When I look at you, one thought comes into my nog, and that is, and that, he ain't going out in the fun way. No. Nope. You know, you're not going to get into uh, a fairground ride with two stuffed toys either side of you. And then my, then my glass bones shatter when the, when the toys fall well, out. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go for a night swim like Jeff Buckley. Um, or Virginia Woolf. Or Virginia Woolf. Um, Although I was born on the day that Jeff Buckley died. Like, exactly. Yeah. Or what? Me, Bob Fosse. Oh. That, that explains why you're such a great dancer. 50 years to the day after Sigmund Freud died. I, I that's, feel that's like it makes sense. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I look at you, I think it, yeah, it, it won't be a fun death. So, but you you go up to heaven. It's in black I'm, and I'm white. I'm thinking mauled by wolves. <laughs> mauled by wolves. That's yeah. kind of fun. Nope, not for me. It won't no. be. <laughs> How do you, okay. Uh, and you go to heaven and the angel is like, oh, yep, sorry. You've got 30 extra days down there. What do you do with your 30 extra days? Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I use that extra time to fall in love, and then I petition the courts of heaven to let me stay on earth. Ah, okay. No, but it's only because the old fell in love impre- during the gap. The gap. Hmm. Well, I, well no. This will be, be a new argument that, that I'm taking to the courts of heaven. Do you think Paul N. Pressburger, lone, <laughs> lone gun filmmaker that he was, was encoding like an abject truth about the universe into that film, being like, if you were, if you're a preemie, if you're a premium child, you get extra days. So this is what you should talk th- through God. Do you think? Do you think that's possible? Uh, not, no, I don't think. I don't think that's what Pal in Pressburger was okay. trying to say. But I digress. So your childhood, Finn, in general, good. Yeah, was solid. It, uh, Finn, your childhood, shite or sound? Yeah, uh, let's go sound. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, what were you like as a as a child? Uh, irritating. Uh, go on. I mean, just well, in the irritating. Just in the way, like all children are irritating. Okay, how are all children irritating? Oh, is Yang Yang irritating? I mean, not 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 with that performance, but like he could have been. Oh yeah, okay. But um, <laughs> oh, absolutely right. Yeah. For I think two years in a row, I wore nothing but camouflage uh, gear to, to school, which I think we've talked about before. Uh, it was in year five and year six of primary school. Did you have a lot of friends? Yeah. Really? Yeah, sure. Were you known as like the camo guy? I, I, I wanted to be known as a camo guy, but I don't think anyone cared. And what do you think, what did, what stories did you tell yourself as you were growing up? <laughs> You've just seen, <laughs> Finn has just thought... Where is this going? Yeah, and now he has I mean, seen I, it go. I basically know where it's going, but I just <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just don't think I have anything any interesting answers to these questions, and I can't okay. I can't think of any joke answers. So speaking for myself, yeah, uh, I was born just zero, J- days. just 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 bang on exactly bang on, correct. zero days, twenty third of September, the best day. Uh, just just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. It's just a coincidence that it's the best day, but it is. Don't you notice that when you read something and it mentions the 23rd of September, your eyes immediately go to it? I presume that every human has that experience since yeah. I had that. No, it's like if you're from New Zealand and anytime you're reading a thing, you see you see the letter Z in a word, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, oh, are they talking about us? Oh, well, are they talking about New Zealand band Z? <laughs> <laughs> Where I remember the greatest uh, is that this song Renegade Fighter. Yeah. Oh, uh, what 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 a, what a classic! I'm a lover. I'm a winner. I'm a fighter. I'm gonna set your soul on fire. Yeah. Um. 
uh, was in an episode of Smallville, Smallville's <laughs> first season. Uh, Smallville. When it was shown on primetime on New Zealand television. Um, I The story I told myself uh, a lot, like, I came, uh, like my family was quite cultural. I, you know, I, I saw a lot of films. I went to a lot of plays. Uh, but I, but none of those really became kind of self-established mythologies for me. Um, apart from, uh, uh, obviously, if if you cut me, I bleed Tardis blue. Uh, <laughs> I, I I know more about Doctor Who than I do my own life, which to me is a story about constant renewal uh, and change. See, to me, it's about time travel. Yeah, and aliens. Yeah, but it. it and about how that changes everything. About how every week you're in a different place, a different person doing a different thing. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of Doctor Who. It's just me being like, "Well, oh, it's a, it's a pretty good coat someone's wearing." Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could pull off that coat, um, but I can't, I can't pull it off. So I spent a lot of my youth, which I count as up to about the age of thirty-one, <laughs> um, as being like tomorrow. I'm going to be a whole new person. I I don't like who I am, but tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do the exercise. I'm, I'm going to be Jodie Whittaker. I mean, I wish. Almost any of the doctors know, okay, a good... Okay, so so w- would you want to be William Hartnell? The racist? No. Would you want to be Patrick Troughton? The, the recorder player? No. Well, uh, the one who genuinely pitched to play the doctor in blackface no <laughs> would you want <laughs> john pertwee you john pertwee think? yeah would you want no to... he seems like a jerk but 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 he he knew space kung fu right fan <laughs> fan <Fen. laughs> oh you should see the look on his berry brown face everyone it's venusian aikido thank you you absolute <laughs> Fucking hell, Finn. Now, I I would assume that you do want to be Tom Baker. No, I do not want to be Tom Baker. Really? He also seems like... like You wouldn't want to, in later life, play Puddle Glum the Marsh Wizard? I would not. I I would... I mean, the key appeal from being Tom Baker... Puddle Glum the Marsh Wizard. (laughs) uh, uh, The key appeal, uh, of course, of being uh, the bomb taker uh, is that um, I mean, otherwise, you know, being in uh, the three of the best years of Doctor Who, followed followed by three of the worst years, and then one of uh, uh, the good years <laughs> of Doctor Who, is of course that he was the narrator on Lionel Nimrod's, oh God, it was Leon Herring's first broadcast work, it was the radio show. Oh, okay. Um, or, uh, Lionel Nimrod, something that that was good. Uh, he was then uh, that idea was stolen by Little Britain, which was, you know, uh, I mean, I mean, they, they stole Patrick Troughton's idea. Uh, yeah, and just uh, J.K. Rowling's ideas. No, Peter Davison seems yeah. like a good guy. Colin, Colin Colin Baker. He has a like Colin Baker's greatest tragedy is that he is the probably the second biggest Doctor Who fan to be in Doctor Who. But he's just, he's a character actor. He's not a leader. Right. He's not a lead. Sylvester McCoy. Sylvester McCoy, yes, unless my odd suspicion that he's, gonna, he's due a Me Too and comes correct. 
Paul McGann. Oh, do, do I want? Do yeah. I want to have been in with Nail and I like, and Alien Three? Yes. Yeah, I watched with Nail and I like a few months ago, and I couldn't really focus on how good the movie was for a lot of it because I was just thinking, Paul McGann is maybe the most beautiful man I've ever seen. He is. He's so fucking good looking in that movie. And because it's of crazy, and because of all the other McGanns that are about, if you watch enough British content, you'll have seen every. There are like five McGann brothers. Oh, okay. Like Stephen McGann is on Call the Midwife. Um, my favorite TV show where the theme song would be improved if it was sung in the style of Hang the DJ by the Smiths. <laughs> Come on. Call the midwife, call the midwife, call the midwife. <laughs> Stephen McGann is on that. And you look at him and he looks like the second or third draft of the perfection that is <laughs> Paul McGann. Christopher Eccleston, like fucking obviously. Yeah. Hooray. Not just a great actor. Seems like a genuinely great dude. Yeah. And spends most of his time just like tweeting about like nice flowers he's seen or workers' rights. Well, yeah, he seems to me like um Brian Fuller in that all the stories about him being difficult to work with are in fact stories about people running toxic work environments. Someone being like, no, I don't want to work like this. And then being like, you get the fuck out of here. John Hurt, yes. Yeah. Um, Then, then of course, there's David Tennant, or to use his birth name, David McDonald. And and like, uh, he's great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I could live with a lifelong love of the Proclaimers. They're more, you know, they're still a one-hit wonder to me. And I've seen Sunshine on Leith. I've been to Leith. There's not much sunshine. Um, Then, of course, Matt Smith. Who wouldn't want to be in Terminator Genesis and the Morbius film? Yeah, who who, who wouldn't want to be in Ryan Gosling's directorial debut, Lost River? Um, And... Peter Capaldi, like yeah. he yeah. he he was in a post-punk band with Craig Ferguson. What more could you want? And like, I can't. Doesn't everyone kind of want to be Peter Capaldi? Like in yeah. a way. Uh, and of course, Jodie Whittaker. Um, I feel like if I could be any doctor, I would be Jodie Whittaker. Right. Because I feel like I have a lot of potential that you've seen in my other work but the base level of the current writing of my life is just simply not high enough. <laughs> um, though I do like my recent move into the use of anamorphic lenses. Joe okay. Martin, do I want to be the first black doctor? Yes. Peter Cushing, obviously. Arabella Weir, yes. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson in that, in that one sketch. Richard E. Grant. Oh, yeah. Richard, not Richard Griffiths. No. Hugh Grant. Oh, yeah. Joanna Lumley. David Warner. There is so, I, yeah, so anyway. Anyway, that's our list of people who have played the Doctor. Um, oh, it's not even, not even, we're not even halfway. Philip Hinchcliffe, Robert Holmes, no, he was a Tory. But man, who, any, any who. The stories I'd tell myself is that always tomorrow I would change. Uh, and it has and as much as I've known for a long time that that's just untenable, that change on that scale and that it has to be gradual and like revelation and epiphany has to happen to you in over time. You have to grow as opposed to snap your fingers and be new. Um, and so I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we watch two films that kind of riff uh, on that theme of what it is to be young and to to look at a world that does not care for you or worse and that you um, then create kind of fantasies 
of how to escape mm. uh, and, and where that takes you. And so, of course, uh, I chose I Kill Giants and a monster calls and bridge to terabithia um and oh, oh let's say peach dragon the 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 original or the the remake i I'm, i mean i've not seen either so let's say both it was four okay. films often i've just gone and looked we've just had a break in recording um i don't have them what i do have is the five and a half hour cut of ingmar bergman's uh final written and directed film he wrote some films after which is called fanny and alexander uh fanny is featuring in the title is the biggest role she has in the film (laughs) and in the five and a half hour long film she has maybe two scenes where she talks there was a scene about two and a half hours in where she got a close-up and i turned to you and said is that her first close-up and you said yes and this will be her first line but she didn't get a line and the camera panned off her (laughs) to alexander as if it could hear us um and also, you know how uh, two weeks ago we watched uh, Joss Whedon, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder Cut, the Whedon Cut? Yeah, my, 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 my favourite movie. Um, a, and a, a, a joy to watch. Well, you were just so racked with ecstasy while watching it, literally writhing in your seat with joy. I've only experienced that once. Yeah, I, I, was experiencing a, I was experiencing a real rapper's delight. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, that was how, when I first saw Before Sunset, it was so good, I couldn't keep still in my chair. Um, it was great. It was the the renovated embassy. It was in Wellington, the former capital of New Zealand. Um, uh, and did you know that before he made the Justice League, uh, Zachariah Snyder um, made a film that, that like, I would call it not my daddy's, Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> yeah, no, a- uh, ab- absolutely. I I would call it my, my my like my creepy uncle's Fanny and Alexander. Oh, I would call it uh technically what was the film? Cuz I know we've talked about this. It the film is Sucker Punch. We know we've talked about this before. But we've talked about how unnerving it is to know to just tell from the film exactly what moments the director masturbates while watching yeah and there's just the real sense that every moment of of sucker punch which is also the director's cut which reinserted a scene uh the worst scene we'll get to it we'll get to it um and i thought what if because you know normally here on uh shite and sound my name's yutha shite you are finn sound nicholas uh we talk about our We talk about our um, childhoods and just other bits and of Doctor our life. Who. Well, yeah, obviously. What else is there to... Are you sad? They've had to... COVID has cut three episodes from the next season. So sad. Still Christmas special this year. That'll uh, be nice. I, I, you know, I haven't seen any of the Jodie Whittaker run so far, but... I, could, I mean, it looks great. <laughs> It looks that they are making things like that on a TV budget is genuinely impressive. Okay. But it's just fine. Mm. Yeah. Um, unless Chris Chibnall, if you're listening, I'm just saying that to go along with the Doctor Who masses. And I think the only thing that would improve Doctor Who is me writing for it. You can get me at youthadeanslist at gmail.com. That's youthadeanslist, no apostrophe at gmail.com or, or you can email us at shitesoundpod at gmail.com do you want 
emails from Chris Chimnall being like, how dare you say that about my, like, structurally knowing but emotionally muffled scripts. <laughs> how dare yeah, yeah, you I'm, point I'm, out I'm getting those emails. the fact that of the 21 episodes we have had so far of Chris Chibnall, 20 of them, I think, have teleportation in them. <laughs> and there's just no, it's just... <laughs> but the Cyberman stuff I liked, and I yeah. think, um, oh, what's his name? I've forgotten the man who's currently playing the master. He's doing a great job. John Sim. No. John Sim is like two masters. Ago. I know. Um, well, well, no, he's, a, he's, a, anyway, wait, wait, wait and see. He's, he's doing audios now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lady Christina from Planet of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got two whole box sets of her own adventures. <laughs> Eric Roberts has a box set of audio adventures set in the Doctor Who universe. As as the master. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that rules. It's just called Master! Exclamation mark. That's that's nice that Eric Roberts is getting some work that isn't a talking cat. I, uh, I why is Eric Roberts not in Food Fight? Like, Eric Roberts Uh, as Dex Dogtective. No, I I think he was, uh, I think at, at that point he was still sort of like doing well off of like the uh, of the dark knight like he he was still oh, yeah, in because right. like he because like food, all the stuff of food fight was like recorded like years earlier Damn. and and so i think he, he was really wait so the script was set early yeah <laughs> oh my god holy shit yeah so yeah i'm pretty sure all the stuff of food fight was recorded like 2008 2009 okay so but, but yeah so 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 eric Roberts was still in like a good place in his career when that was happening so he wasn't desperate enough yet to to do food fight oh uh, yeah we should go back we should go back and get eric roberts we should get in our, our time machine yeah who 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 should he voice in food fight dex dogtective oh oh okay you're you're on him replacing charlie sheen oh yeah yeah, yeah. is a big fan of eric roberts work from the Doctor Who TV movie to Stalked by My Psychiatrist and Stalked by My Psychiatrist 2, two Lifetime films. He's to seen... A Talking Cat? Yeah. And um, uh, and a bunch of Frank D'Angelo films? I would much rather him over genuine terror and bad person, yep. Charles Sheen. So that's my intro. Let's watch uh, Franny, Fanny and Alexander yesterday. Take a break and then watch Sucker Punch this morning. There, there is there are a few things that ruin a day more than watching Sucker Punch at ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like the only thing keeping me going right now is the fact that I know I'm going to go and watch Shadow of a Doubt at the Academy Cinemas later on. I have to tell you, at three p.m. we have people coming to look in an empty room in our flat, so my day is just going from low to low. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. This week we watched number 84 on the Sight and Sound list, Fanny and Alexander. Ingmar Bergman's five and a half hour long epic about a young boy who enters a fantasy world to deal with abuse following the death of his father. Our second film this week is Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. A loose collection of nerdy fetish machinima music videos made in the Unreal Engine.
So Fanny and Alexander, five and a half hours. Yeah. Log line it for me. Oh, didn't didn't I just do this? Oh uh, yeah, you're right. I'm, uh, you know, trying to set the scene. So there is, what is the name of the family? The film is about a large, rich Swedish family called the Ekdals. Yeah, who their main business is they run a small kind of bespoke theatre well, company. The matriarch of the family, Helena, was a famous actress yeah. in, in her youth. And her son, Oscar, uh, runs a, a small regional theatre. Uh, he is married to um, uh, to a woman called Emily, who was also a famous actress. And then her other two sons, Carl and Gustav Adolf, are just sort of like independent businessmen. We can just call... The film insists on calling him Gustav Adolf. Every single time I mention him. Um, for what I must assume are cultural reasons. Yeah. But we can just call him Gustav. Gustav, top team player. Yeah. I mean, he won numerous acting awards for this role, so we're not we're not uncovering a hidden gem. But like... This fucking performance is great. He is. He has the magic charisma of the Japanese guy in Yi Yi. Oh, of, the guy of of, of Isao Gata. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's more than one Japanese guy in that. But, film. but he's the guy you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, because he's fr- he's defined as being the Japanese guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the person coming to Taiwan from Japan. He, yeah, that magic kind of instant fun charisma where he could do anything. He's played by an actor who's. Um, uh, name is uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, Jarl Kula, uh, and he's he's fantastic. Yeah. So he, I mean, there's not a bad performance in it. Yeah. But so we first meet the family on Christmas. Yeah. They're doing the Christmas show. That's how it starts. So there's a short there's a short prologue with Alexander hiding under a table and looking at the the Grim Reaper walking by. Yeah. One dwarf that could be standing in for. And Alexander is like eight to twelve over the course of this. They yeah. don't age, age the child. No. Um, because the thing about being eight to twelve is you don't uh, you don't look any different over those years, which is great news for eight year olds and terrible <laughs> news for twelve year olds. After this prologue, we go to the theater uh, where we see the nativity play that the family puts on, where Emily is playing Mary, and I believe Oscar, the, the father, is playing Joseph. Yes, he is. Then after the play is done, all the actors go backstage where they always have a party. The Ekdal family have put on a big Christmas dinner for them. Mm. And they all eat together, and it's, it's very nice. And there is... Uh, it feels like Fellini, this bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's lots of people just like walking around with trays of food and... Oh, but and everyone's a character. Yeah. I mean, they're all characters, but they're like... They're characters in a way a, your grandmother would describe someone as being a character. Yeah. Just for this Christmas dinner, uh, Oscar, the, the theatre owner, he gives this big speech about how fucking sad he is, but also like what theatre means to him. Yeah, and, it means a lot. And this speech is... I think also pretty clearly, like, Ingmar Bergman talking about, about cinema and, and what cinema means to him. Not to go too big mm. too quick. I, I had this thought as well, because this, this film is uh, ostensibly about abuse, but is really, uh, and, like, familiar connections, but is really, I think, about how we tell stories. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is this just another Holy Motors, a film film people love because secretly it's about film, you know? Mm. But I think it is wider than that. I think it is about escapism uh, and, and, and like narrativization and historiography on a personal level rather yeah. than just. But but yes, no, obviously there's a lot that reflects really directly uh, onto Bergman talking about filmmaking. This is, yeah, the last film he made after making films for like 40 years. Uh, yeah. So it's five and a half hours long. He's just using up all the film he had left. Just getting the ends from every single shoot he's ever done. Oh, mate. That would be just so, like, I respect it. But he just did not need to do that to himself, you know? He'd already made 
a bunch of things. Yeah. And this was like very much in his era. His previous film was Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, yes. Which is also long and somewhat autobiographical. And so, uh, and the two screenplays he wrote that were produced after this, um, but directed by other people, one by, I believe, his son, um, were also autobiographical. So this is kind of his memoirs yeah, I, period. I, I, I can't remember what, what the one directed by his son was called, but the other one was, uh, uh, the other film was, was Transformers Dark of the Moon. <laughs> yeah. The written by Mark Bergman. I mean, uh, not as much as you think has changed in that film. Like Bergman always likes to go a little magical realism. And like what the difference between playing chess with death on the beat and a giant swirling um, uh, Decepticon destroying a whole building. Yep. Uh, the leap isn't as big as you'd think. So Finn, you're right in what you're saying. Michael Bay really is the modern Bergman. He certainly is. Um, and so this film, we we watched it. Uh, it, it uh, in four parts, which is kind of how the longer version is is presented. And the first part, uh, after kind of they leave the stage, is kind of Chris, uh, um, Christmas Eve night, Christmas party with the whole family, the events of that night and the following morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they have this backstage party with all the actors. Then all the actors leave and they go to the family matriarch's house where they have an even bigger family dinner. And that's about an hour and 15 minutes of this. And it's such a fucking great sequence. It's so much fucking fun. And you, you meet meet all of these cool Swedish people. And there's so many great characters in this bit. Right at the beginning, you meet a woman called Esther, who is Helena's maid. And it just starts with Esther coming up to Helena saying, Oh, Mrs. Ekdahl, this, this, this is the 43rd Christmas we've, we've spent together. And Helena's like, huh. And just like pats her on the cheek. And I think the interesting thing about like discussing this film is that being like, well, it's 80 minutes of a Christmas party, then it is two hours of depression, and then it is an hour and a half of like incredible tension. (laughs) But also the fact that like each scene in this film is maybe five minutes long, which makes it sound oh, maybe didactic. But I don't think I'm going out on a limb. But I think this Bergman guy. I think he knows a little bit about how to make a film. And so within each scene, as long as they can be, there's always uh, like there's always changes and reveals and all the performances are of course on point. Yeah. Like I'd say I was a lot more engaged during this movie than I was during the seventh seal. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And like the issue with the seventh seal is that the seventh seal is essentially a sequence of platonic dialogues where by their very nature no one's minds are going to change. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, the reason this film has to be nearly six hours long (laughs) is that there are, like, 20 characters that each have individual detailed character arcs. Yeah. It feels epic, except it's... You want to call it epic, even though it's kind of tiny and intimate. And it is that thing of, like, it kind of feels like a building's roman, except it takes place over, like, three years. It's impressive the scale he gets into these things, but it is the curse of, like, the facts of the film, the length, and and the plot in some ways hide that the joy of it is in the detail of Mm. getting to spend, you know, it's been... This Christmas party is essentially just being like, meet all these people. You're about to spend a fuckload of time. Every main character except one is introduced in that period. Uh, yes. Yeah, the bishop is the only one. Yeah. Because uh, even... Isaac. 
Yeah, yeah. It's there. Yeah, so you, you, you meet this like whole large extended family. You meet Helena, you meet all of her children, you meet all of their children, you meet all of the servants, and then you watch them all have Christmas dinner together. And then there's this very long, very Swedish dinner section where some of them are like, okay, this is normal like Christmas stuff, and then someone's like, oh, this is real Swedish here. Like, so, so, there's a lot of dancing early on. I remember saying yeah. to you during the early Christmas rituals that I did not recognize being like, I have the same amount of connection to this as I do to the color of pomegranate. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just cannot fathom what is occurring. Yeah, like, after they've finished dinner, everyone joins hands and runs through the house singing and... Uh, to develop herd immunity, a thing that's going great for Sweden right now. <laughs> and you just get to see how all these characters, like, interact with each other. And you get to see that Gustav has been uh, fucking all the servants for years. Yeah. And the, this, the great thing about, about Gustav is, and like this scene, you're like, oh, he's the fucking worst. Yeah. He's this fucking like rich shithead who's like cheating on his wife with yeah. all these women who are in like positions of serving to him. Well, and we're introduced to this by his, we first learn that he sleeps around from his sister, I think, not his sister, his sister-in-law, in a f- being like, I ha- or, or even his wife being like, I have to warn the servants well, about no, him. So we, we, we actually learn before that, when, when we see him talking to Marge, one of the servants, uh, yeah. and, he, and he's just like, like very openly hitting on her and, and, like, and saying like, hey, you should expect a, a, a visitor to your, to your bedchambers tonight yeah. and doing, doing that sort of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, and then like a, a bit later on, his, his mum's talking to, to yeah, his wife and like, yeah, I should probably, I should probably warn Marge about, about him. Yeah, and, and, and then we get a comedy cut to the, them in bed. Um, but yeah, no, he seems like a real shithead at this point. Yeah. And, and of his two brothers, uh, I cannot remember their names. Uh, so you have Oscar, the father of Fanny and Alexander, yeah. who runs the theatre. Uh, and then, then you have Carl. Who is real buttoned up. He has some pince nez that are out, slightly out of proportion to his face yeah, and like each he, other. I'm not sure if anyone knows those like green alien glasses that you can wear where the eyes are kind of like slanted upwards. Yeah. Like he's wearing pince nez that look that are shaped like bows, basically. And, and are transparent. Yeah. And, and he's like real bad with money. He's got a lot of anger issues. Yeah, him and his wife fight constantly. And they have an incredibly toxic relationship. Yeah. Uh, and it's like as the film goes on, then, he, then, he's like, "I'm divorcing you, like in every scene." Yeah, yeah. As, as the film goes on, the sort of like, awfulness of their lives is like played more and more for comedy. Yeah, until they they're just like both doing pratfalls. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's disturbing when you lay it out like that. But <laughs> over five and a half hours, it, it works. Feel, it, feel, it feels natural. Yeah. Um, all three of the brothers uh present medical issues. Yeah. At, at, at this point as the night goes on they'll have to stop and like take a breather or like take a heart medication pill yeah. so their blood pressure doesn't explode and you spend the entire those two hours of us being like oh which one's gonna die first yeah it, it really seems like uh, they're all gonna go then we get first scene i yeah i saw this i saw the three hour cut of this but i have very little memory of it but one of my key memories is that that pretty early on, like after the party has concluded, Franny and Ellie, Fanny and Ellie, I always want to say Franny and Zoe is why I say Franny. Right, yeah. It's Fanny and Alexander and their cousins being told uh, scary stories by Fanny and Alexander's dad. Yeah. Um, which is like this 10-minute sequence of essentially an old man pranking about with some kids. But it's kind of 
charming and wonderful and like magical yeah or him telling these like stories to to the kids and it doesn't matter to him or it doesn't matter to the kids whether or not what he's saying is true it's just like it's the whole thing about like theater and about escapism and they're like the thing that is important about the scene is the magic of not knowing or caring whether something is true um, uh, he does a whole five minutes on how one of their ratty chairs is the most expensive chair in the yeah, world. Yeah, how it's made of diamonds and used to be owned by like an Egyptian princess and China, China, yeah, the Queen of China, the Empress of China. Right, yeah, yeah, and it is just spellbinding. This mm. film existing in four parts is useful for anyone other than us who. We genuinely started yesterday being like, we are going to watch all of this, then suck a punch, and then record. Which was a fool's errand. Yeah. It's now Saturday. Uh, I don't know any international events to 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 timestamp today's episode. Oh, I mean, like Tim Allen's tweeting about Karl Marx. Yeah, go back to Saturday the fourteenth and look at all of look at all of Tim Allen's tweets about Karl Marx today. It's, it's Karl Marx with a C. Yeah, he cannot spell. I mean, <laughs> how do you spell that? No one knows. A curse. E. I mean, it's it's, it's just A E I O U. No, it's, oh? no, it's it's definitely A U, right? Oh, That's the home improvement stinger drowning. There's a bit in one of uh, John Hodgman's audiobooks where he's listing uh, words that are forbidden to be played in Scrabble, and one of them is A E I O U, and he's getting Paul Tomkins to say all the forbidden words. Yeah. And he's, he's like, next we have the word spelled A E I O U. Now, how, how would you pronounce that, Paul? And Paul Tomkins goes, Ayway! So that's kind of the first chunk. We kind of learn a lot. Yeah. There's a great scene where, where Carl goes up to all the kids and he's like, hey, come with me, come with me. I've got, I've got some fireworks to show you. Yeah. And uh, there's just this really like tense bit where this like creepy, angry man is just leading a bunch of children into a dark stairwell. Stair. We're just like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he starts taking his pants off and he's like, oh, okay. And I, 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 I didn't, down. Yeah, I didn't expect all the horrifying stuff to happen this early. Yeah. I mean, he just starts farting really loudly. He was like, oh, okay. It's just a classic, like, weird uncle gag. And then he, uh, then, 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 then he blows out all the candles in a candelabra with a, with a fart. Yeah. Um, I really, classic Carl. I really did want it to explode. Yeah. Yeah. His, no, that's his, what I thought was going to happen. Well, because Fanny and Alexander are right behind <laughs> yeah. it. And, like, the idea that, like, the twist in Fanny and Alexander is that. Is it is they are horribly burned? <laughs> horribly burned by fat. Um, but it is. I mean, like that's what happens in in the John Waters remake of Fanny and Alexander, where it's called that. Pussy and Alexander. <laughs> you you see that video of of John Waters from a few weeks ago, where he was at like New York Film Festival, where he was introducing a double feature of Climax and Salo. What? No. Yeah, it's a really good YouTube video of John Waters uh, introducing uh, that double feature. Him just being like, hope you don't have any happy thoughts in your mind. <laughs> no, I find Climax ultimately in a weird way. Like, okay, it's not up there. Like, I'm so happy all those dancers are dead. It's invigorating, though. It's yeah. kind of Mandy E. <laughs> well, I need a better point of reference for that emotion than Mandy. Yeah. Well, I, st- I still haven't seen Climax. Because the only no way film I've seen is irreversible. I'm like, yeah, I don't. Oh no, that, 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 that's enough for me. No, climax is his good film. Climax is good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, climax. You didn't see climax, but a lot of theater makers did. <laughs> 
because the year it came out, I saw three separate shows which started with sequences that were to different degrees, clearly them doing right, let's yeah. do the voguing one take opener from climax. And where in, in two of those cases they used the same song, <laughs> like not even hiding their working, you know? Um and I gotta tell you, it's less impressive when it's not like France's best thirty dancers. Yeah. And Sophia Batella, the mummy herself. Yep. The atomic blonde Her, friend. Sophia Botella, the star of Cian Sono's upcoming Prisoners of the Ghost Land with Nicolas Cage. How long is that film going to be? Uh, I don't know. It's probably going to be like two hours. But like that movie has been like supposed to be coming out for like two years now. Has it been shot? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I first heard about like two years ago when it was Nicolas Cage and Imogen Poots. Oh. And then Imogen Poots, I think, had to drop out and she got replaced with, with Sophia Botella. Which is like, a, that's a very different performance you're going to get. Yeah. I'm not... Uh, Sophia Batella, the person who keeps beating Olga Kurganenko at auditions. Yeah, so it's it's supposed to be finally coming out this year. Yeah, along with the three other movies that Sion Sono has made this year, and Nicolas Cage has said that it's the craziest movie he's ever made. Oh wow! Yeah, and he was in um, ooh, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Valley Girl. What a wild ride! He was in um, uh, uh, Raising Arizona. Yeah. He was in Wild at Heart, I'm genu- which is a movie that has wild in the title. I'm genuinely trying to find a boring Nicolas Cage film. My gag was like, I'm going to think of the most boring ones. The, like, the uh, Weatherman, or what's it called? Matchstick Men? Uh, like, that's two different movies. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he was in one called, called The Weatherman. Yeah. That and then he was also in Matchstick Like Man. a Gorbavinsky film? Sorry, a Vore Gorbinsky film. So we meet the family. It's great. One of the brothers is going to die. Which one is it? It's Fanny and Alexander's dad. Oh, no! As he dies, he he promises to Emily that she will take over the company. And then off screen, Gustav kind of just takes control. Right? No, so Emily takes over the company for a bit. And she, she's running it for about a year. I mean, after that, she just kind of gets sick of it. And it yeah, well, because she's it, still in mourning for yeah, her yeah, husband. It, yeah. it reminds her too much of her husband, and she doesn't get any joy out of out of theater anymore. And at the same time, she's met a bishop. Now, this bishop... He's not a nicey. Not a nicey at all. The question I asked you multiple times while watching it is that it's incredible he never played a Bond villain. Because yeah. this whole performance is a Bond villain's performance up until the moment where he reveals he's the villain up until the moment where he says like, ah, yes, Mr. Bond, enjoy the ground. Now, frippity frop, come here. Yeah, so so he, he's playing... Let me, let me finish my book. Okay, okay. Now, frippity frop, come here. Make sure that Mr. Bond here enjoys... Uh, make sure he enjoys... En- make sure Mr. Bond... This is... <laughs> no, this is verbatim. This is what he would say, <laughs> including the let me say my Bond yeah. thing. Let... Let's hope he has a deadly time. And then what does Fli- Flippity Frop say? <laughs> yeah, he, he's got like, uh, okay, bonded middle f- hands and middle teeth. Yeah. What does he have that's middle? Okay, uh, he's got middle vocal cords. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he just pulls them out of his mouth. Yeah, well, he's just rebar. <laughs> It's just, just re- sto- he just stores rebar in his in his throat. <laughs> oh my 
car. So he's, so he's, he's constantly going around like one of those holders that holds um, toothpicks yeah. full of remarks. Yeah, so he, he's very helpful if you want to like beat someone to death or if you're on a construction site. I am surprised that... Like, that, 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 that's why, like, you know, you, you, you don't just see him in the film. Because of course Tom Hardy's the only person on the screen, but he was like <laughs> he was on Tom Hardy's team in Lock. He, he was he was one of the construction guys. I don't, I don't. For, for, for prep is like seventh build in Lock. You hear you hear him on the phone. Um, uh, it's played by Andrew Scott. Man, like um, Lock. If you've not seen it, great. Maybe my favorite one actor film uh, that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking good. I mean, it's, 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 Tom Hardy in a car his life falls apart for an hour and a half. It's fantastic. And, and like the very fact that people have tried to make it a play and fail, um, reveals how much it needs to be a film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, but uh, there, Andrew Scott plays a, a, a drunken co-worker down the phone and his and andrew scott it's a good performance everyone gives a good performance it's got some incredible olivia coleman in it this has got tom holland as his son right yeah yeah, yeah. tom holland did it as his son um but andrew scott's drunk performance is him doing exactly the same voice as his um moriarty when his moriarty is being playful yeah. and so the whole thing has this extra where it's like oh fuck in the way that like uh spec oh no skyfall a lot of the bloom is off the Rose of Skyfall, and a part of that is that it's no longer Moriarty versus Voldemort. This is we've still got a film that's like Moriarty's taking on fucking Bane, guys, mm. and Venom, and the Queen is there. No, in, in Spider Man, in, in Holmes and Watson, doesn't Ralph Fiennes play Moriarty? Like probably, yeah. I don't know. You, you've you've seen Holmes and Watson. I've seen it's burned into my mind as well. But yeah. he's not re- he's not in that much. No, the main actor I can. Do you know what my favorite is? Joke? Is Rebecca Hall? No, Rebecca Hall. Is uh, it Rebecca Hall? Uh, no, Kelly McDonald. Oh, Kelly McDonald, the Scottish Rebecca Hall. Yeah, I mean Kelly McDonald's been around longer, you know. Okay, fine. <laughs> Rebecca Hall's the <laughs> Rebecca Hall's the English Kelly McDonald. Oh, no, the the one piece of only casting... one of them was in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And a one... movie I've never seen, but just know the title of because it's fun. It's been quite a long time since we've peaked a recording the way you have <laughs> since you, when you said R- Vicky Christina Vicky Barcelona. Christina Barcelona. Uh, just then. Um, no, but, um, no, the one bit of casting I remember from Holmes and Watson, which I think is maybe, like, it's not the worst film. Its heart is not the darkest, but it is the most ineptly produced. Mm. Um and then so excited to watch it in uh, in thirty episodes. Is that Billy Zane is in that film? Oh right, yeah. And the, and the joke is that he's Billy Zane. Yeah, because right? they're getting on the Titanic. They're like, oh, we're getting on the Titanic. Yeah. Look, it's Billy Zane. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, of all the ca- like, oh, Bernard Hiller's dead. Who could who could you get from Titanic that would be Kathy Bates, mm. Catherine Bates? So this bishop. This Bond villain. Oh, yeah. So he comes in about, about like two hours into the movie. Yeah. And the first close-up of him is the first time there is any score in the movie. Yeah. And it is, I don't know, one of one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a movie. Just just two like two hours of like only diegetic music. Yeah. And then the, then you see this dude's fucking face and there's just like creepy like cellos and stuff, and you're like, oh, this dude's bad fucking news. Well, it is. It ends up being legit, like one of the all-time great villain performances. Because yeah. he's he like a thing I kind of like the most about him is that he's so black-hattedly a villain. Yeah, and um, he's he's played by an actor called Jan Melnsio. Butchered that. Uh, <laughs> wish I could wish I could figure out how Swedish words worked. I mean, sort of the Swedish. Yeah. 
that seems unfair. Well, as you, as you were talking about while we were watching the movie, there, there is there is no language which more like sounds like a parody of it than Swedish. Yeah, no. The of all the racist cliches that exist, the racist impression people do of Swedish is the most accurate. <laughs> yeah. But he comes in. He's hitting on Emily. They eventually get married. He is his stepfather to Fanny and Alexander. And like his first interaction with Alexander is Alexander has just told some dumb child's lie about like seeing a dragon or something. Well, like yeah. That. So at at school, uh, he he told a bunch of the other kids, "Oh, you know, my 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 mum sold me to the circus, and at, at the end of the semester, the circus is going to come and collect me, and I'll yeah. be off with them." Uh, which is like fine. And he sits Alexander down, and essentially. What the film is doing is being like, this is the guy who doesn't like stories, who doesn't like escapism. Um, There's a juxtaposition in the Christmas party. uh, One of the brothers reads from the Bible uh, and they all have fun and listen to the story, right? Mm -hmm. He's reading a story from the Bible. And then um, the the bishop is like, uh, you were wrong and uh, you're wrong to have fun. And then a couple of scenes later, we see him reading... The, all the rules from the Bible out, and it is like all of this just seems on the nose, and and, and and like the music only appearing when he does, but the whole of the film is so effortless and so crafted yeah. that it is like there are so many good bits where it's like Fanny, Fanny, and Alexander have a moment, and then rack focus, and the bishop is framed behind them, which is like film 101, power relationships. But because Bergman's style is so actor-focused and so character-focused, the workmanness of his style, like the, his frames are kind of like the default frames. And they still look good. It's still yeah. beautifully lit. But you're never, you know, you're never going fisheye. You know, there's never bullet time or even really like when the camera moves, it creeps as opposed to tracking. Right. Mm. Um, But all of that makes it sound just much more boring than it is because this moment of this bishop describing to a child why imagination is wrong because it's false. The bishop's thing is all about truth, the truth of God. Yeah. You cannot lie. I have truth and justice on my side is like one of the best villain introductions of all time, right? Yeah, like, I cannot... Absolutely. Like, the shark eating the woman at the beginning of Jaws, <laughs> right? Yeah. The shark eating Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> the shark eating the tourist in the shallows. Yeah, the tourist becomes steal her stuff, I think. Uh, the Meg eating... The Meg must eat someone. Uh, yeah. The, I think so. Yeah, uh, the Meg... Uh, I, 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 I've not Megged yet. Oh, you have to now that Ben Wheatley is directing the sequel. Oh right, yeah. The Megas, ex- the Megas, exactly what you think it is, which is Jason Statham starring in a hundred million dollar B shark film, and it it it's it's two and a half out of five, but it is exactly what you want for all of that time. Yeah, you'll never watch it again. Mm-hmm. I I've watched it twice, but that's because the second time I was turning some of its dialogue into a found poem. Oh, right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's still good. One of my good comedy bits, which yeah. is lines of dialogue from the Meg, which would equally be in place during a long, harrowing breakup argument. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so they move in with him. And Emily, early on, is like, oh, yeah, he's a bit mean, the bishop. Mm. But when she agrees to marry him, he's just been playing some flute, the, the ultimate bad guy move. He, he's, he's just... One exception to that. 
Alison Hannigan in American Pie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Unless, is, is what we learned is that when she so famously put that flute in her pussy, I got to say it again. Great job. Um, uh, uh, is that it turned her evil. And that the, is that what, because like the ninth American Pie film came out last year. The first one without Eugene Levy, right? which yeah. is a real, I understand it's a real sea change for the series. Mm-hmm. And what if it is like, and Alison Hannigan being like, that flute had a demon in it. <laughs> uh, and now I am here. The uh, the pie, the American pie I will make will be a pie full of Americans. I think luckily she's mostly just on Penn and Teller Fool Us these days. So she doesn't, mm, she doesn't right. have to be in an American pie director DVD sequels. Uh, yeah, and she was uh, she was in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, when you know that was on and fine. Yeah, I mean uh, it's in retrospect it's probably bad. I mean, I think of of all of the American Pies, she's had the best career. I think. Okay, so here's a pitch: you be a studio exec, um, and it's uh, <laughs> it's 2030. Okay, he twisted his body into a uh, food fight rictus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so American Pie. Love it. Greenlit. Okay. Do you, okay, now it's greenlit. Do you want to hear about what you've greenlit? Uh, no, I'm allergic to log lines. Oh, uh, okay. So, so f- slow fade. Um, then I'm driving home from the pitch. Um, I'm on the phone. Hey, Finn. Yeah, <laughs> He's put a photo there. I just got the pitch for my American Pie. Oh, the interesting thing is that they didn't... <laughs> seemingly want to hear the content of my pet. Well, I guess those films have been such a moneymaker this whole time that they don't even care. As long as you put the whole word American Pie in the title, it's going to be a huge hit. But I never told you my pitch. Oh, I'd love to hear now, it. Oh, well, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I was so I'm like worried. Oh, I'm not allowed to come <laughs> For some reason, I was sure you were going to block me again no, and I'm, I would have to find someone else to I'm talk to. The one. <laughs> I mean twos. Yeah, I know. I know, like, as I was saying, it was like, they're two, not a one. It's a real real deuce, this situation. Um, So, the cast of American Pie, now, it's the year 2030, they're all in their 40s or 50s. We get them all back, different characters, different world, different universe. For example, you've got Sean William Scott, but he's not playing his iconic character of Stifler. He's not, no. He's just playing someone else. So, is Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, that's what the fuck. How dare you forget Jennifer Coolidge's name? Very funny and all the stuff. I just couldn't remember her name. Um, and she's in the film. She's Stifler's mom in the film, but that's the only connection we have. Okay, so so it's like how Eugene Levy connected for previous American Pie films. Yeah. Now, now it's Jennifer Coolidge as Stifler's mother. Yeah, and she she's in her dotage now. It's like a horny dotage. The opening sequence of her causing erotic panic in an old age facility, world class. But her life's getting boring. She can only sleep with so many high school students. Uh, And so she goes to join a club, and the club is all older people you know, 40, 50-year-olds. And we know they're all, it's Jason Biggs, it's Sean William Scott, it's Alison Hannigan, it's, oh, uh, what's her name? Yeah. From Russian Doll. Oh, Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone. Many more. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Box, right there from Tron. Yeah, of course he's there. Yeah. Uh, we're digitally de-aging him, like uh, in Tron Legacy, of course. Um, uh, 
Why does that person like <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you, but anyway, we get Chris Waitson to write and direct. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is that they're a fun activities club. And they're doing, they go on rope swings. And, you know, yeah. they all have character And arts, they're all doing paper mache. Paper mache. But then one of them comes across a recipe for a pie. A magic pie that if they will eat it, they will get to live the idealized high school experience they always wanted. And so they start to build the crust. But it's very mysterious what the filling is. The filling is American. American flesh. The real American pie is a cannibal pie. And the previous nine films are all in a horrific universe that came at the cost of many, many lives. Uh, and, like, I believe it's Jennifer Coolidge that says into the camera, surrounded by corpses, <laughs> blood streaked down her uh, finely aged face. I think she says, hmm, looks like the American pie was the people we eat along the way. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, this was a real epic movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was a, not another teen movie. Can I tell you what my first, as I was going into that, as as I was saying the words leading up, knowing that she would have to say something in the, in the film, my brain was just saying, she should just say somebody stop me, like the mask. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Fanny and Alexander uh, move in with the bishop. Because I was saying the thing about the flute. The flute. Jesus Christ. Fucking hell. Jesus. Oh, we (laughs) should not have promised that this would be shorter than Fanny and Alexander. (laughs) So, he's playing the flute, but but both both Fanny and Alexander have been put to sleep by the boringness of his flute playing. Obviously, this is like this is you know this is in like 1908. This is back when flutes were boring. This is before Ian Anderson and Jeff Rotel modernized the flute, brought the flute into prog rock. You know, goes into Aqualung. It's great. <laughs> it's not, but okay. Yeah, Aqualung's a fun a fun song. You 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 know you're not, no, you're not a Jeff Rotel fan? I just think the flute uh, should stay in the orchestra. <sighs> Euphorin is gatekeeping. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, the children be put to sleep. And the bishop, his name is Edvard. Uh, bishop Edvard Vergeras. Super evil name. So Emily is, is, is talking with Edvard, and he he tells her, so when when you marry me, and you move in with me, uh, don't bring any of your shit with you. Like, I, kn- I know you're rich, and you have all your fancy clothes, and you have your books, and your children have the toys. Nothing. None of it. You can bring, you can bring like, the clothes on your back, and be like, other than that, you're going to live in my, like, cold, gothic bishop palace with no possessions. Because I'm a Jesus boy, and that means I get to tell everyone that their lives have to be just as terrible as mine is. He's a big Imagine fan. Yeah. Except, like, the exact opposite message of Imagine, really. Yeah, like, Ben, what's his name? Yeah, like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro's opinion. Yeah. yeah. If, if anyone hasn't seen the Big Joel video <laughs> about about Ben Shapiro doesn't understand the song Imagine. I, 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 I am incredibly endeared by your assumption that our audience would just automatically see every Big Joel video. But, like, you should be. You should go watch If you Big like Joel. us, you'll like Big Joel. Yeah. He's, Big he's, Joel. He's is, like us, but smarter. Big Joel, uh, my, yeah. He, oh man, I want Big Joel to be my boyfriend so bad. He would be, be so lovely. <laughs> um, um, But, yeah, he's a smart guy uh, who does very good uh, bread tubes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so he, he, he tells Emily, you can't bring any of your stuff with you. 
uh, you just go live you go live in my uh, shitty castle and be sad and j- she gives this like th- this this like amazing monologue about uh, 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 an amazing monologue in a film of amazing monologues yeah. Uh, yeah, she 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 gives this 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 amazing monologue. She's kneeling on the ground, and it's all like an over the shoulder shot of him, like looking down at her. Yeah. and so yeah, it's just this like like four minute long, just like one shot on on her face uh, as she talks about their like differing views of God and how he believes in, in a God of love and what she's seen in the world. She can't believe in a God that that loves her or a God that loves anyone really. And b- b- because because she she is an actor and her whole life is is about wearing different masks and taking on different personas, she doesn't believe in a god of honesty. She believes in a god that also wears different masks and takes on different personas, and just just fucking rules. Anyway, so yeah. so that, that like they, every moment of this film, yeah. it fucking rules. Yeah, and so they 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 all they all go and go and live live, live in this house with him, and immediately everyone's like, oh yeah, this sucks. Calling it a prison sounds like a metaphor. But very quickly, Fanny and Alexander on their first night are like, "Look, the windows are barred." Yeah, yeah, the, and, and yeah, and so as soon as they get there, like he, he reveals himself to be like even more of like and like um, even oh, more we, of an authoritarian than than he seemed like initially. We meet his family. Yeah, um, there's his, his family, which is which is all all women. It, yep. It's his mother, it's his sister, and it's his uh, his, his his invalid aunt. Yeah, um, and, and his mother is a scary old crone, uh, a spinster, a spinster. His um, sister is a spinster. Um, his aunt is a spinster. His sister is like Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, like yeah. she's. A comically stern kind of head made for the situation, and the aunt is a uh, human walrus, just like a blob of flesh. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's just like imagine like she, she's suffering from some like horrible medical condition the entire film, and she's just she's sort of just like I mean like this doesn't actually happen, but like she's basically just being like wheeled around in a wheelbarrow the whole time. <laughs> yeah, um, like, and- yeah, every time there's a close up of her face. She she's just gonna and she's got like 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 all yeah. like like veins all around her mouth and just like spit coming out. Well, and like she's very much and it's like interesting because there's a slight ableism to that, yeah. but it is also very firmly within like as much as Fanny and Alexander don't really feature in Fanny and Alexander. No. Uh, it's a film that, especially through this period, the the middle section feels like it's from their point of view. And the, with the aunt, I think it felt very clearly to me to be like something that would frighten a child yeah. as opposed to like, this is actually be freaked out by this. So like the film is playing two levels yeah. uh, on that. The longer they live with the bishop, the more that Fanny and Alexander come into conflict with him. Yeah. They can't adapt to we the... We get three or four more scenes of the, the bishop being like, Stop telling lies in increasingly harsh ways. Yeah, yeah. It's a scene where where Alexander makes up a story about how the about how the uh, about how the bishop's previous uh, wife and his two daughters uh, drowned, and so for like fifty minutes, it turns into like a courtroom drama where the bishop is the judge and he's like calling witnesses and he he's telling Alexander the, the, the consequences for committing perjury and stuff, and it's. Yeah, and then that, that scene ends with Alexander getting caned incredibly hard. And then, whilst lying, recovering from his caning... Yeah, he's forced to like sleep in the attic that night. He imagines that he's visited by the ghosts of the his, the, the, the bishop's two previous daughters. Yeah, and, and they say, stop lying about our dad, you fucking shithead. And it is this, and it is like this... Uh, in, a, in a film of scenes where I could happily call almost any scene my favourite, 
I think this is my favorite yeah. because it is so clearly both about like a kid imagining ghosts and that being frightening. But for me, like the adult watching it is just like, oh no, this is kids internalizing abuse. Yeah. This is, this is, uh, 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 and how that changes how they live and mm. like how that art kind of develops. Yeah. And things aren't yeah. going great. And then, and then, and then, then the scene ends with, with one of the, the ghost daughters uh, vomiting a bunch of water onto Alexander's face. Yeah. And, oh, and, and it makes you go like, oh yeah, that's right. I mentioned earlier, I've been checking back in on uh, M night oh, yeah. as part of my continued research into enemy podcast blank check. Uh, which well, well, one day you're gonna you're gonna learn enough to take him down. Look, I gotta tell you, Look, we we already know all of Griffin's weaknesses because he talks about them constantly, uh, and, and like and his father's weaknesses. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and, and I gotta I gotta tell you that the more I listen to that entertaining, uh, insightful podcast, that's just become a real like lagoon of light mm. uh, in my days. Um, my hatred for those two men, those three men, because of course Pradua being, yeah. Uh, sorry, hello, Fennel. Um, Captain Crispy, I should call Professor him. Crispy. Professor Crispy. I he's he's not Professor Crispy. No, and, and so I will call him oh, that as he's my enemy. Oh right, okay. Um, and my hatred for them has only grown. Uh, so yeah, the war's on. But also, like, if you love podcasts about movies that are kind of funny and witty, but also like insightful in some way, hopefully. Don't check out Blank Check. No, Ugh, it's, you'd hate it. There's, it's got too much of that is the biggest <laughs> problem. Anyway, we see glimpses of how the rest of the family is going. Yeah, point. in the scene where Alexander is getting caned, his mum is is at uh, 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 his mum is at his grandmother's like holiday home, and uh, she, she's confessing to him how much she hates. Uh, she, she's confessing to to her former mother-in-law how much she hates living with the bishop and how much her kids hate it and how she wants a divorce. And but that she is now pregnant, mm. and and he he he'll he won't grant her a divorce, and uh, he won't grant her a divorce. What he will grant her is that she can leave, but under abandonment. But that means she's abandoning them, so he gets the kids. Yeah, and and in this sequence, we we also find out that that, that Marge, the servant uh, girl from earlier, yeah. is also pregnant with, with with Gustav's child. Marge, who of course went on to be Shmi Skywalker. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, but like, like Marge in in many ways is a tiny character, mm. but it, it, like to use her as synecdoche for for everything is like everything about like you get a real sense of who she is uh, as a person. So much of how your at least my view of Gustav changed uh, is the scene, it's the extended scene we see of her with Gustav, where it's like, oh no, she she's not just a maid in a film to show someone is sleeps around. Yeah. She's like this whole person. With yeah. Like, and like, she, she's like, like, yeah. In, in, in the scene where we have a two of them, I and mean, then for like the rest of the film, like she has, she has like a real like power o- over him in, yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And there, there, well, there is, she laughs at him. Yes. And that's the one thing he can't stand is that he likes when people laugh with him, but he can't stand people laughing at him. Yeah. And, yeah, and like we're not going to be able to talk about how like all the relationships between the characters evolve over the film, but, but they do. But, but yeah, they do, and uh, they're, they're they're all they're all great. Well, uh, like they're all meticulously well observed. Mm. Um, uh, is the thing to say. Um, 
I mean, uh, yeah. So uh, after after the cane, it, it, it gets to I think what is probably my favorite bit of the film. Yeah, where um, uh, where where the, the, the where the family has decided we're not going to let Fanny and Alexander continue to live like this, and so they send in a family friend called Isaac, who who we meet in in the opening scene. He's like, yeah. an, uh, he he's basically Helena's uh, boyfriend. Yeah, except they're, they're both sad old people whose spouses have died, and they they, they they're, they're just all like. A, a real like comfort to to each other as they grow old and die. Over him, we meet Isaac a few times, and it's it's sort of hinted at, but not explicitly stated, that Isaac is Jewish, which is I yeah. mean, why why him him and Helena can't get married. And, and he is aesthetically a pretty stereotypical. Well, in, in, in the early, in the earlier scenes, he 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 isn't. Yeah, yeah. But in the scene after Caning comes into the Bishop's house to to try and see him. And he looks so stereotypically Jewish that I didn't realize it was the same character for a while. Yeah. And it is very, it, like, at this moment, you're like, oh, no, Birgo. Yeah, yeah. You put a foot wrong. Yeah. Because he's he, like, uh, I didn't care. He's like, yeah, hey, I came to talk to you about money. Hey, Annie. Yeah. It's uh, it's not good. Yeah. It seems like he's come to, to talk about, like, some debts that the bishop has. Or he's oh, come to, like, well, it, he's, it, come to, he's come to haggle about something. No, he has come because we learn... That the bishop a while ago yeah. said, I have some debts, will you give me a loan? And Isaac said, No, I don't give loans to clergy. Yeah. And said, But I could buy something. And then uh, the bishop said, But you could buy something from me. Why and not? Isaac said, No, I don't, I don't want to. I don't oh, want... no, he said, Do you want to buy this trunk? Yeah, this, this big old chest. I think it's a coffer, technically, but it's wooden. Um, and, 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 and uh, yeah, so so pr- previously Isaac didn't want to buy this this yeah. chest, but 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 now he comes back to see the bishop. Is like, yeah, I decided I do want to buy the I do want to buy the chest. As, as mu- I might have a buyer. I want as much money as I can. Uh, and while and the bishop is all like, oh, good, please put Mister Bond in the trunk. <laughs> um, but while he's signing the contract, Isaac runs upstairs to the kids and is like, take your shoes off, get downstairs. And they hide him in the trunk. Yeah. Um. And, and then there is. Uh, oh, it's your bet. You you yeah. talk about it. He hides Fanny and Alexander in, inside the trunk. The bishop comes back, and he realizes that, that Isaac is trying to take the children away. And he starts like he starts like hitting him and like shouting like slurs at him and stuff. Oh, there's a there's a there's a slow build to that though. He's like, come sit down. Let's sit on the trunk. Do you like that? I know what you're trying to do. You're yeah. trying to steal my children. Use oh. filthy hook nose, like kind yeah, of stuff. It's... Yeah. But then the, the, the bishop's sister was like, "No, it's okay, bishop. We're in the room. I I I know who has the key." Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're like, they run upstairs, and while while the bishop runs upstairs to to the children's room, uh, uh, Isaac and and some some of the people who love them come in. But they they will take the chest down. They take the kids to Isaac's house. Yeah. And uh, it is uh, it's worth noting in in that moment where the bishop confronts the the confronts isaac um uh, that's where it makes clear that like the the quote unquote like dewing up of isaac is about bringing out uh the bishop's prejudice rather than the film expressing yeah yeah it's isaac is like playing up this like negative stereotypes of jewish people on purpose yeah and yeah, yeah. As that scene started, we were both like, "Oh!" But when we get to the end of it, yeah. like, oh, "Okay, good." Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is. And the children essentially spend the rest of the movie li- li- living in, in in Isaac's place. Yeah, but the, but then um, the that is uh, the the escape is the beginning of the fourth part. Yeah, and, uh, and just if you're watching along, I guess. <laughs> and and that that leads to my my, my favorite scene that I, that I wanted to talk about, which is oh. the next day, uh, Carl and Gustav go to the bishop's palace. 
to talk to him and, and to essentially try and negotiate for the release and divorce of Emily. Yeah. And, and the bishop wants to get the kids back. Oh, man. And this, Fuck, it's a good this, scene. It's like a, it's like a 10, 15-minute long scene between ju- just these three dudes. And, and it like all in, like there's a master and they each get two different close-ups, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, which is to say that... It, it's not like all in one. Mu- anyway, it's yeah. just there's not there's n- there's not much uh, uh, cinema cinematographic pyrotechnics. No, but like it it is it is so like but like it, yeah it it's just it's all about the acting it's all about the writing and like well it's kind of a heist film yeah it, it's uh, it because oh no you go you yeah. describe how it goes. so it's this incredible fucking sequence where every minute the like entire power dynamic of these three men just just totally flips. And they're, they're all like trying to like introduce leverage that they have over each other, yeah. And and like knocking that down. It's like, no, this is what I have, and no, you have nothing. And trying to take moral high ground, trying to take the legal high ground, and tr- trying trying to take like a monetary high ground. And and it um, keeps feeling like someone wins. Yeah, like yes. someone's like, oh, well, yeah, the thing is, I haven't got any cobwebs, and it's like, well, guess what? I live in a house made of spiders. Boom, yeah. and then someone walks away, and then they're like, spiders, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like if, if, if every fucking minute someone thinks that they like put the final final nail in the coffin, played and, the and final card as the metaphor they use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and each time the the, the other person reveals like, no, you you think you have me, but here's what I've got. And there's this amazing like dynamic between between Carl and Gustav, where where Gustav cannot control his temper the whole time. Yeah, and he like all he wants to do is just fucking scream at Edvard and and just like. Tell me, uh, he thinks he can beat him by just like, telling him what like a, a pathetic like cretinous hypocrite he is. And then Carl is trying to play this all like good cop role. He just wants to be civil, like we're 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 adults. We mean we can have a discussion. Yeah, yeah. About this. He's trying to make it a business. Yeah, conversation. And, and and Edvard is like really like playing into into that. Edvard's trying to take the like yes, we we can be civil here sort of thing. But also oh. like part of and uh, like so much of the success is that we've spent so much time with all of these characters. Yeah. And that there are like three or four levels of conversation going on at each time, like based on their behavior, what they're saying, how those things interact, how relationships interact. And also like Carl throughout is, yeah, is so buttoned down. He's so clearly aiming to be the good cop. But from everything else we've seen of him, we know just from his performance that he's also just effervescent with rage at the situation. It's just that, you know, when Gustav says that he <laughs> flips a chair, but when Carl says it, it's just like, well, let's be under no misapprehension. We've heard tell of what the situation here is yeah. like, you know? Yeah, whereas like Gustav's like, like I, I, I know all the fucking scum in this city. I'll, I'll tell everyone who's anyone yeah. that you're a fucking child molester. I'll tell them everything. I'll, I'll ruin your fucking life. Yeah. Like, I think it is interesting about the character of the bishop in is that the thing that i think time adds to this film is that he's quite clearly a child rapist um whereas at the like the film very explicitly is only kind of about him beating the kids yeah but there there is so clearly a scene like yeah which i think is interesting and intentional right to be clear i'm not i'm not saying that about that that happened to the real ingmar yeah because he's Alexander. Yes. Yeah. Like he's been, he was pretty upfront about that. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. He is yeah. Alexander. The mum is his mum, and that Bergman is was the bishop's surname. Yeah. Well, this is Wikipedia knowledge. No, Bergman 
his dad w- was like a famous bishop or, or something. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the bishop is based on his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that incredible scene. And then for most of the rest of it, it is, it is about Alexander wandering through, through Isaac's house mm. at, at, at night after he's supposed to be in bed. And just sort of like encountering all the like weird things in, the, in this labyrinthine puzzle house. Yeah, full of puppets and toys and yeah. masks. And I mean, I, I, there, there's stuff that happens in the sequence that I don't necessarily want to go into. But uh, I don't know, it, it's like it, it feels so totally different than the rest of the film. But like it's. It, 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 what it like is. It, it feels a lot more like mystical than, than the rest of the film does. Which like, is like, the, the rest of it is like so austere, and there are, there are these moments of, of kind of like magical realism yeah. and fantasy. But then in this bit feels like, like it, it feels, I don't know, it, it, it feels like a very like. It, it feels like if, if Lovecraft had like written some YA <laughs> is, is what this final sequence feels like. Oh yeah, but it's 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 instruments that have played sporadically yeah. throughout the rest of the film, finally getting to have solos. Yeah. Um, and, and he interacts with Aaron, who's Isaac's brother. Uh, Aaron is an orphan boy that that, yeah. that Isaac took in. Uh, so, it's Ishmael as Aaron's. No, no, no. Aaron and Ishmael are, are yeah. brothers. Yeah. Uh, Ishmael, who is uh, another person. Yeah, I like. I agree with you in that. Like the rest of the film is he Alexander has some encounters at, at Isaac's house. Yeah, we were talking about like spoilers and ruiners before. Yeah, uh, I think like this is the section which is like the most like ruinable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but um, it, but just say it's all great. The the atmosphere of this of this last forty five minutes hour is incredible. Yeah, the all, all these great performances. It, if I had to, the fourth part is my favorite part, uh, and yeah. I think. Of all the smart things about the length of this film is the fact that it gets gradually more rather than less interesting. Mm. Yeah, which is not to say the, the first part isn't interesting, because it is. The, f- the first part is but incredible, it, but the, it's also very, like, normal. It, it, feel, it feels like other films. Yeah, it feel, uh, like it, yeah, it takes you to another place. But yeah, yeah, whereas, like, part four is, like, a totally, totally singular work, I think. Um, but you couldn't... But, like, part four is is the final act of the film. It yeah. has to be. Like, the thing is that, uh, yeah, a lot of, like, big films, which is to say my experience of longer films, is that you're like, eh, if I saw this over a week, that wouldn't really ruin it, you know? But whereas, like, the juxtaposition uh, of the end of this film against the beginning of this film, or even, like, the moves the time skips or the changes in people when you've not just been with them. Like, I f- think this film would lose something. Yeah. Because we just watched it, like, back to back to back to back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we, did, like, did, did, did we pause it? Uh, yeah, I went to the bathroom at one point. Okay. But, like, it, it was pretty much just, just five and a half hours straight through. Yeah, and yeah. And, like, if, if you can watch this movie that way... I, I, we are people of privilege, which is to well, say that yeah, we like, have five that, and a half that, that's hours That's why I said if you can. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, um, if, if you can watch it that way, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, and the extended version, which is, say, the director's cut, the long version, which was his first version, which he made for television, but was brought shown in cinemas yeah it, it is widely available it's the criterion releases the the five and a half hour version so finn yes fanny and alexander shadow sound uh it's sound it's sound as hell yeah it's sound so f- after we finished watching it yesterday yeah, this, you said that you liked it but you, but you didn't you didn't love it yeah i everything i i stand behind everything i have said mm. in so far our two and a half hours of recording <laughs> this podcast is that i 
appreciate this film technically on so many levels, but I am someone who has, and this, I stand by that this film is ultimately about how the key thing we teach children is how they tell the story of their lives. Yeah. It's like, it's, like how, it's like how American Utopia is about David Byrne trying to tell people what it's like to live with autism. Yeah, and to vote. Yeah. Um, check out American Utopia. It's real good. Oh, we've already made that joke. We've already made that joke. Don't watch the American adaptation of the yeah, TV you, show. Utopia. I think you've done that joke several times. Uh, I just didn't like it. Yeah. Sorry, Jillian. Sorry, Jillian. Maybe make a better TV show next time. But I, I am someone who has thought near constantly about storytelling for about a decade of my life and that means that i was like while i appreciated the film and i think a lot of people will get a lot out of Mm. this film uh this is a film that operates on change rather than comfort and it did not comfort me and it did not change me so that's like obviously it's sound Mm. but that's why i like it rather than love it okay do you know what i mean um yeah which I, which is unfair to the film. So Sucker Punch is 2008. No, it's 2011. Shit, this was made. This is this is this is made. This is made in the last nine years. Okay, so here Sucker Punch. Uh, if you don't know, is two hour long film by Zack Snyder. Um, follow up to Watchmen, in which Emily Browning from American Gods and series of unfortunate events plays Baby Doll. A baby Doll, a young girl. So Emily Browning plays Baby Driver. Seems like a nicer person than Ansel, from what yeah. I hear. Anyway, is that her mum dies, her stepdad's evil. Uh, he's gonna rape her, but she fights back, and so he instead chooses. Uh, to rape her younger sister Uh, and so she breaks out gets a gun and uh, uses it to stop him Uh, he then uses that gun to shoot the sister no 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 okay so he's standing in a doorway he's about yeah yeah. he's about to uh, he's about to try and rape rape the sister yeah she comes up with a gun she fires at him she misses hits a light bulb fires at him again misses and hits the sister that's right i think she also like grazes his arm or something it doesn't, and this anyway, is, like this whole sequence. This is like a five minute long sequence, which is like from the like mother dying to the father being like, oh, to a funeral to the to the attempted rape yeah. to the death of the sister. No dialogue. Yeah, just it, it, a. It's this like uh, silent tableau. It's not silent. It's got sweet dreams by Eurythmics well, underneath. Is it actually the Eurythmics version or is it a cover? No, it's a cover. Yeah, yeah. sung by Emily Browning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this this film. As I said in my intro, is a series of music videos. Um, it it is, well, it's it, a series of music videos set to uh, mostly bad covers of mostly good songs. Um, and what happens except for Bjork's "Army of Me," which uh, isn't covered. It's it just isn't. It's just "Army of Me." Um, uh, and and sound any, sound song. And now, if any of you complain once more, you'll face an army of me. Um, and so where we got, uh, and she gets taken to a men- mental institution mm-hmm. where in five days someone's going to turn up and uh, give her a lobotomy because mm-hmm. um, Oscar Isaac, that's right, Oscar Isaac's in this. He would later... Poe give, Dameron himself. Poe Dameron himself giving a bad performance like everyone in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, even Carla Gugino escapes unscathed. Ma- mistress... Of good performances and bad films, Cala Gugino. Well, her, 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 and Eva Green. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the mistresses. <laughs> Basically, she goes into a nested series of hallucinations in which she is respectedly 
like a, a sex slave, and then she's fighting robots. Yeah, well, yeah. And so then she, it, it, it's so when she first gets to a mental institution, there's there's basically a Chekhov's gun loading sequence yeah. set to uh, set to a shitty cover of "Where Is My Mind." Yeah, because it's in because it's in a mental institution, mm-hmm. so the song is "Where Is My Mind." Uh, amazing stuff, Zachary Snyder. But so she's like walking through and she's like seeing all these different seemingly inconsequential things. Yeah. Like a guard who's holding a lighter or a cook chopping up food with a knife. Yeah. Or a map on the wall. Uh, Yeah. And basically she has to, well, the first level of delusion she goes into is that she imagines uh, the place uh, is a brothel for sex slaves. Yeah. Where they're forced to perform. But it's not, it's not, it's not some, it's not just like a, uh, it's not just like a brothel. It's also a weird uh, cabaret thing where all the girls have to do like uh, incredibly high concept uh, striptease numbers and then they get sold to men to have sex with. But whenever Baby Doll dances, uh, she imagines she is in a uh, Corridor Digital or Rocket Punch Freddy W uh, action video where her and her four friends are in their underwear or wearing very movable clothes over their underwear yeah. and are fighting like kick ass things like giant samurai yeah. in in in, 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 me, in me in the samurai fight scene it, yeah. it's it's just Emily Browning in that one she's wearing Japanese schoolgirl yeah she's wearing like a Japanese like, schoolgirl yeah. costume but because that isn't already fetishy enough. The entire like left side of the skirt just has a, a giant like slit up it, so like, it just provides absolutely uh, no cover uh, to her at all. And it all builds towards. There was a scene we watched the director's cut. Um, there was uh, the scene. Uh, the scene. The major piece that was reinserted. Uh, John Hamm plays the lobotomy surgeon. Yeah. Um, and within the 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 sex slave level of the fantasy, he plays the high roller. The high roller, who's, who's the one who's talked about throughout the film, and he's he's the guy who who uh, who Baby Doll is like being saved for. Yeah, and and, it, and it's about how he, you know, he may freak. And I like to be clear, I'm saying sl- sex slavery is a very choice distinction because the film very much wants it to be this harmless. Not harmless, but less mm. harm. Like it's just a brothel. Like it's not like it's, but it's a bit more Moulin Rouge. Like it's very. It wants to be Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Like aesthetically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's declawed. Um, and he he's like, now I may have spent a lot of money on you, but I only want to have sex with people who are fully consenting, which. Like then why cool, why do you go then why do you like, go to I a sex slavery brothel? In a fucking f- I like I understand this is a fantasy w- within the film within a fantasy film, but it is just this grotesque moment of like oh this is why men shouldn't write screenplays because then he has like a three two or three minute long speech where he's like oh it's about power making your choices and then she consensually sleeps with him the scene cuts away and well, it so is... it, it doesn't just it doesn't just cut away it, it cuts so as as like like as as he enters her cuts back to the first level of reality where he is the lobotomist and he uh hits a spike into her brain and, and lobotomizes her uh yeah it's it fucking sucks yeah and like that's the worst of it i would say there's a lot of worst in it so i think the best way to really recap this is with some imdb trivia each of the lead girls had to undergo strict physical training which involved doing deadlifts up to 96 kilograms several months before shooting 
Vanessa Hudgens called this period, in quotes, tormenting, and she broke down several times. In scenes where she's crying, she actually brought out moments of those sessions. And to be clear, the moments where she cries, the moments where she was like, I should invoke what it felt like on the prep for this film, is when an angry man is shooting her friends and yelling. Yeah. Jenna Malone was so upset by the film's poor reception that she nearly quit acting. Mm. Then we wouldn't have gone with Neon Demon. Several members of the cast and crew described this movie as one flew over the Matrix. <laughs> Emily Browning claims that she had seriously been considering giving up acting, but working with Zack Snyder convinced her to stick with it. Emily Browning dyed her hair platinum blonde for the role, and the dye ended up permanently damaging her hair, which had to be cut into a very short pixie style after filming. Zack Snyder told Vanessa Hudgens that this feature would be his first action film, despite the fact that 300 is considered an action film. And, and Watchmen is also an action film, and Dawn of the Dead is arguably an action film. It is absolutely an action film. Yeah. This is the second time Emily Browning has portrayed a mental patient who creates an alternate reality to cope with accidentally killing her sister. Uh, oh, yeah. and No, it's not The Uninvited, but it, it's, it's... It is The Uninvited. Oh, okay. Which is based on the Japanese film Tale of Two Sisters. Yeah. yeah. There are a striking number of coincidences between events in the movie and musical cues and lyrics on the 1973 Pink Floyd album Dark Side of the Moon. Then there is a... Just like with Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2. Yeah, and then there's like a 200-word-long trivia entry, which ends with this phenomenon is known as the dark side of the sucker punch, is like the dark side of Oz, mm. or the dark side of the rainbow. Uh, and obviously IMDb trivia is can be submitted by anyone, but all of that feels pretty true. Yeah, I think that last one was, was submitted by, by, by Roger Waters. Um, I... I <laughs> <laughs> Good one. The... Biggest problem is that this is a film about multiple levels of reality, where they all look the same, they all look like 300, they all look like Dawn of the Dead, where there's this high contrast. It's just like a slight reskin on each one, like, oh, in this one, the bad guys are steampunk German zombies, in this one, they're orcs, in this one, they're robots, but they, they all basically look and act the same. Well, and they just don't, and it doesn't, it is that thing of like, this film while thematically repulsive, like uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, right? At least in my opinion. Um, like that film, Day of Reckoning, kicks ass because all of the fights are real good. Right, yeah, yeah. And like Sucker Punch should so easily be a film where it's like, oh, thematically it's bad, but that bit where she takes out three giant robo samurai with just a sword and a handgun is awesome. And like the action in this is better than in Just Ice League. Yeah. Or I would say Watchmen. Yeah. But it's still, like, why? Those sequences are all bad, but, but like, for the most part, the choreography of those scenes and the yeah. actual, like, performances of, of Vanessa Hudgens and Emily Browning yeah. and Jenna Malone and Abby Cornish in, in, in those scenes. And, and uh, Jamie Chung, but she, but she doesn't do any of the yeah, fighting Yeah, she's stuff. the weapons guy. She's yeah. the helicopter pilot. Yeah, so, like, as, as, like... As like actual like action movie screen presences, I think they all do like a really good job in in, in those scenes. Yeah, it like, is. But but, but the, the best parts of the movie is like when there is just like uh, shots of them doing action stuff, and you can see most of the time it's them that's actually doing yeah. it, and they're like like there's, there's a scene where where Vanessa Hudgens kills a bunch of zombies with like a tomahawk, and like that's that's, that's the closest movie gets to being cool. Yeah, and but like the look that is being put on it. The fact that they are in, like, I yeah, no, I have advocated on this 
show before that films can be horny without being gross. Yeah. Like films can be sexy. That's fine. I just don't want to seem like sex negative. But it is the fact that all throughout this and every level of reality, it's not, it's like if you are going to dress women extravagantly within their own fantasies, they should not look like men have dressed them. Yeah. I am so angry well, yeah, and that I've already used the phrase if Laura Mulvey <laughs> sees that she would shit herself. Well, and, and <laughs> because also, it's like, oh like, my the, God. The, the, this, this movie seems like it's set in like the 50s for in, in the like actual uh, like no. reality section. Oh, right. I but, thought uh, like I thought you were going to be like, it, it, like moralistically it's in the 50s I was like no because they show their navels <laughs> but in, in, in the like reality of the film, it seems like it's in about in, in about the 50s but all, all of all of the fantasies are like very like clearly like early 2010 teenage nerd boy I would say they're very kind of 2006 like mm. it is still surprising to me that this is a 2011 film because like even like 2011 films are like still made with the male gaze, but it's like well, I, I, I didn't say 2011 film. I said like oh, I said, fantasy, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like 14 yeah. year old nerd boy anime fan fantasy. That that's what every single action scene in this movie is like. That's what all the women are dressed like. Yeah, it it sucks. Um, and oh, the thing I kept thinking about is that obviously, like they all have like tops of various kinds on. You know, like bra adjacent top. Yeah. But almost all of them are just wearing underwear, if you know what I mean. Like, like just like jockeys, and the thing, or, or just like just like a leotard, or leotard. And the thing is, is that they are pulled so tight throughout the film. All I could think about is, you know, when you're wearing underwear that's a bit too small, and it is the elastic or like it's pinching into like this do you understand what i'm doing with the side motion vaguely where it's like sawing into the side so it's not so much about the whole pressure of the fabric on you it's about the sides cutting into you and i was like it must have been just so painful to make this and it's like i i so rarely look at films and go like oh it would be impractical to wear that <laughs> But this film dwells so much on like shots of like high heels to them kicking people. It's like absolutely you would not fantasize like about wearing high heels in this situation. Which brings me to my like, my key point because multiple times throughout the film I was like, how do you make the the good version of this film? And then I realized the good version of this film is just Birds of Prey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah, which does. A, a, a lot of the same stuff this movie thinks it's doing about like women trying to escape abuse, yeah, and and being like quirky and funny and cheeseball, yeah, and and wearing and wearing like cr- crazy outfits, yeah, which like yeah, um, so I just really I don't like don't watch this film, yeah. I'm annoyed I've seen it twice now. I. Like yeah, yeah. This is also my second time seeing it, and like there is so much in this that I just like that it just like left my that it just left my fucking brain. Like I I remember in broad strokes like the, the plot of the movie and like what like each like dumb like fantasy sequence was, but like when they first go from the hospital into the brothel fantasy sequence, there is this incredibly long musical sequence where where Oscar Isaac and Carla Gugino sing "Lovers the Drug." Yeah. Well, you see, like all, all of the different like acts of the woman do on stage, and all of the bits that they do are so weird. These women are supposed to be strippers, I guess, but but like yeah, it, I think it, it, the it, idea it, is that it's like a burlesque show. Yeah. Then when the act is over, men rush up to a teller 
to be like, I want to have sex with her. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. You see Vanessa Hudgens, who's doing some sort of like Bollywood influence sword routine. Yeah. It's uh, great. You, you see Abby Cornish is being burnt as a witch on stage. I mean, yeah. the, 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 her dance. Like, it, they, they, they refer to them as dancers throughout the film, but throughout her scene, all you see is she's just tied to a stake and being burnt. Yeah. I mean, at the end, she's lifted up and she has angel wings. I mean, you see, you see like Jamie Chung is like some sort of like, like fetishy maid thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I also just, just after that, there, there, there is a scene where uh, uh, where on the soundtrack there, there is a cover of "Asleep" by the Smiths. Yeah, while Emily Browning is crying and scrubbing the floors. Also sung by Emily Browning. Yeah. Now only the second most problematic person to sing that song. I mean, now I mean, fuck you, Stephen. Yeah, and so with with each of the fantasy. Each of the fantasy sequences is like set to a different song. Yeah. So the the the, the first one with with the with the uh, with the, like steampunk samurai is set to Army of Me. Yeah. Uh, and um, it should like someone fighting a samurai to Bjork's Army of Me should be cool as hell. Yeah. It, like I genu- Yeah. Like I want to make films so I can make that, but good. Yeah. You know. Then the second one, they're fighting in World War One, but like a steampunk, uh, steampunk zombies, and that's set to a, a shitty cover of White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Yeah, uh, then... I think it's just a shitty remix. I don't think. No, no, no. It's, it's, oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it's like a, a different, a different voice. But um, then, then there's a, a then like after that, there's a mashup of We Will Rock You. And some other song which I didn't quite catch. Yeah. Then there is one where they fight orcs and dragons and stuff, and that one's set to a terrible version of Iggy and the Stooges Search and Destroy, which is like that's one of the fucking coolest songs ever written. Yeah. That's the yep. definition of a kick ass song. And then the final one is they're on like a robot space train trying to defuse a bomb. It's and real that's got set... real solo energy. Yeah, and that's set to Tomorrow Never Knows. Which is a Beatles song originally. Oh, I thought it was. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, and then I, I don't know who the couple's by, and I don't, I don't care. So Finn, shite. Yeah, it's shite. I, th- I I've seen way too many Zack Snyder movies this year, and I yeah. hope that I never have to see another one. I yeah, I stand by. I shite with the caveat with the statement that like I understand Zack Snyder making. Coming out of like commercials, he was, or maybe music videos. I think commercials. Yeah. And then making Dawn of the Dead, and like Dawn of the Dead, uh, was good at the time and has not aged well because everything took that aesthetic. Um, but like not bad. Yeah. Three hundred does a very good job at being three hundred. Yeah. And it, it, it is a movie that knows that it is like exploitation nonsense trash and, and has a really fun time doing that. And like every question you have every problem with that film is kind of fundamentally... It's like saying, I don't like the taste of this apple, or this apple is poisoned. Like, it could still kill you, but, like, it's still an apple. Watchmen is one of the most amazingly misguided artistic pursuits of all time, but I can kind of understand that film did not, I believe, lose money. No. And so he got, he got uh, to pick a phrase at random... A uh, blank check. Uh, a lot of cultural capital to, to make a film, and then he made this... It didn't do well. It's not good. And the very fact that people with minds and money, jobs, people who feel secure in their lives looked at that film and said he should make more films speaks to a fundamental problem with 
how power is distributed across the whole of the world. Uh, yes. Um, it, Good point. This, like, Sucker Punch, there's a parallel universe where, like, Sucker Punch exists as a curio because it, it's the it is the capital, it's the cultural capital that did not clear. Yeah. Uh, and he never worked again. And you're like, oh, did you know he was working on a Superman film? Oh, that would have sucked. <laughs> but we have to live here where he then, where they were like, oh, that's so good. Make us a five film kinematic universe based on alien super terrorist Superman and Elon Musk wannabe <laughs> Batman. But what if Elon Musk did like CrossFit stuff? Huh? So you can that, find that's the show. One thing he was missing. <laughs> so you can find us at shitesound.com or tweet at us at twitter.com slash shitesoundpod. And our email is shitesoundpod at gmail.com. I'm Utha Lives, wherever, U T H R L I V E S, wherever you follow people. Yeah. And all you need to do to find me is walk out on the screen and shout, sound and i will come running um and uh if you like the show which uh, i think you do i think it's good this was a, it was a david longy but uh, i had a good time check out fanny and alexander uh and then uh tell your friends share it around we mm. don't have a marketing budget that be really good be like hey you know how there are already like seven or eight podcasts where two white friends two white men friends watch films and then are like oh, i've had a funk uh, why not add a ninth in there? Yeah, maybe just get rid of one of the other ones. Yeah, you know, you you you've you've listened to enough uh uh Douglas movies. Yeah, that's true. Is it? Any, what are we watching next week? Next week we are watching the Spanish classic, nineteen seventy three, The Spirit of the Beehive, directed by Victor Arice, starring one of the great child actors of all time, Anna Torrent. This is a personal favorite of mine, which you you've never seen, right? I've not seen it. Yeah, no. uh, it's fantastic and beautiful, and uh, it, it does all the things you want uh, from a Spanish film. It's about fascism. It's about uh, sadness. Uh, it's good, um, and, and I, I I think I think uh, with that. We, uh, I've got, I've got, I know what we're yep. watching it with. When you think cinema, when you think Spain, when you think fascism, you think, obviously, you think of Simon J. Smith and Steve Hickner <laughs> are behind the lens. And in cast, what better cast would you see in a film? Rock, Goodman, Roderick, Warburton, Zellweger, <laughs> Seinfeld. That's right, we're doing B movie. <laughs> See you Jeremy next. Seinfeld's B movie. Jerome, please. Oh, we not. Yep. Three hundred million dollar box office B movie. It's a. It's quite the meme. I've never seen it. Have you? Oh, I've never seen it. No, but I'm going to try and make the argument next week that it is an endorsement of fascism. I've uh, heard because that that's going to be uh, uh, that's going to be the only way I can link the two films. I I've heard it's got quite a lot of buzz. I've heard there's a lot of bees in it. I heard it's pretty sweet. I've heard it's uh, the bee's knees. I think that the way its legs connect have quite a lot of honour. That's right. It's honey. 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 Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go Go watch them. Yay!
Fenton, how you doing? Bazinga, bazinga. Um, got any cheese? Come on, Did what? I do that? Uh, you got it, dude. How rude. Kokomo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whose catchphrase is Kokomo? Uh, I was just... I was, I was doing Full House stuff, and then the, the Beach Boys play Kokomo on Full House in one episode. Or maybe really? multiple episodes. Yeah. But one of those... And then they form their own band and sing Kokomo. Isn't anybody got any cheese? Um, Urkel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did, I did oh, Urkel's okay, too, and okay. then I moved on to Full House ones. No, well, like, Urkel has like, a... Like, How Rude, and You Got It Dude, and Kokomo... <laughs> But Urkel has another catchphrase, and that's when he uses his cool jeans in a machine to become Stefan Urkel. Yeah. What, what's his catchphrase then? It's like, got any go-get? Because he's cool now. Hey Siri, what is Stefan Urkel's catchphrase? Okay, I found this on the web for what is Urkel's catchphrase. Okay, so that didn't work. And... Uh, 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 Surprisingly, <laughs> absolutely sure it was gonna it was gonna pay off. 